My name is Stuart. I'm, I'm normally a Cardiff Centraler, um, but it's a great privilege to be here. I'm just actually really blown away by um, how much of a bang and momentum that you guys are kicking off with. And um, it is really obvious and very exciting. So I don't know how it feels for you to be officially part of a new, a new site and to be thinking about what's going to happen, but it's obvious that God is going to do some great stuff to me. I can't help thinking really about um, what it was like for Joe, my wife and I, um, when we came down to Cardiff from Nottingham about 10 years ago with a little bunch of people, much smaller than you guys, much, much smaller. And I was growing into, you know, 500 plus and birthed you guys and doing loads of stuff in the city and just, um, yeah, like if we're not excited about what the potential is right here, you know, given what's gone before, then we just need to go, oh, Lord, come on, excite me, because I feel excited. I've only been here a few minutes. So, um, yeah, privilege is mine. I'm also excited to be kind of bringing the last in the four series on Gracefield Community. So if you've not had the pleasure of being here for the last few weeks when they've been doing Gracefield Community, then I highly recommend catching up with the talks online. I would love to go over them, but I, I've got a meaty passage to get into. But do have a look at them. Um, when you go on our website, we've got some different values that we're aspiring to. And Graceful Community is one of those values we're aspiring to. It's not something we're there yet. You know, we're, we're a bunch of people who are we're having a go. We're trying to imbibe and live the life and the love of Jesus. But we've, we've, this community thing takes patience and forgiveness and understanding with one another. And kind of graceful community we defined as welcoming everybody. And that certainly is what this passage today that we're going to look at is about. It's about forgiving quickly. And again, that's going to be in today. And it's about loving extravagantly. So those are things that are yeah easier said than done, aren't they? Um, welcoming everybody, welcoming people into your life that might be difficult, might be socially awkward, might not repay you with love and kindness. Continuing to love people, to forgive people when inevitably in a church scenario, if you hang around for long enough, you will experience some sense of her keeping loving and forgiving it's not easy is it and um, ultimately I think we have to have a source for that don't we we have to know where our source for love and forgiveness comes from and so today I feel a bit like I'm 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 the last man I've got I'm on the anchor leg for this series okay four talks as the anchor leg it's like the four by 400 I've taken the baton I've got to go I think a Michael Johnson shows my age a bit, but um, he was pretty cool, wasn't he? And um, you just got to spend myself this morning because what I'm trying to drive home a bit like the Anchorman is that I really believe that our source and love and forgiveness has just got to come from Jesus himself. And ultimately, it comes from Jesus on the cross. You know, that is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. It's got to be an understanding and experience of his forgiveness first that will then keep us fueled and aflame to love other people and to forgive them. So going back a couple of weeks ago to Ian's talk, and if you haven't listened to Ian's talk, do, it was very good. In fact, I thought it was so good, I'll just put it on replay. But um, <laughs> he, he spoke on Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and it says 12 and 13, it says, um, Therefore clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you've got against one another. It's pretty all-encompassing. <laughs> forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's, it's following the pattern of Jesus. Paul says it similarly in Ephesians 5.1. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just 
as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant sacrifice to God. So it's this whole thing of Jesus does it first. He said to his disciples in John 10, to look this one up, can't remember it. So John 15, he says, um, my command is love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. So he says, my command is to is that you love each other as I love you. And by the way, I'm going to give my whole life for you. So that's it. You know, our, our source of of love and forgiveness has to be in Jesus. And ultimately, it's Jesus on the cross. So I suppose I, I put that out there because um, it's going to come up in the passage today. And because forgiveness isn't easy, you know. And for me, having that demonstration of what Jesus has done for me and that command to forgive, forgive other people is often what I need. In fact, I, about two weeks ago, I came to sort of preparing a bit for this talk and um, it got really hard because suddenly I sat down to do a bit of bit of prep and um, something came up within me and I was like, oh, I feel really angry about that. This is stuff I'm meant to be doing a talk on grace <laughs> and forgiveness. And suddenly, suddenly, basically, something had been simmering in the background, which is some family stuff which is really hard and family stuff often is hard isn't it because they're people that we stick by long term and we don't drop relationships with family but we stick by them and sometimes if somebody's got some difficulties we're going to get hurt a few times can't we and sometimes something will happen that will drag up stuff from the past but I was feeling really angry and I was kind of letting myself get in touch with my emotions so Joe, my wife has been trying to help me work through some of my forgiveness stuff over the last few years and one of the things she's helped me with is that actually in order to be able to forgive, you kind of got to be able to count the cost. You've got to name the pain. You know, otherwise you can't really forgive. Sometimes I think we think forgiveness is to do with saying, oh, it's all right, don't worry about it, it's okay. Welcome back into my life. And effectively we're saying kind of a bit of a doormat coming in, hurt me again. That is not what it's about. It's about being able to feel the pain. So I was in this moment, I was like, many of you are preparing myself. Oh, I'm feeling really angry about this thing that's happened and somebody else that I love dearly who's been hurt. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, because of this, I'm hurt because of that. This person's experienced this and all this stuff from the past. And I was feeling it so much, I actually felt that if that person had been there right then, I would have wanted to pin them down. Because I actually felt a bit like, you know, I want them to feel the pain that I'm going through. I want this person to know the experience of what has happened. It was something really, really hurtful. And um, I want them to know so that they would change. And in that moment of feeling like I would just pin them down, I just felt, do you know what? Somebody did get pinned. Jesus got pinned, didn't he? And he got pinned with nails so that justice was done. And justice has been done in this situation, in the, the, the wrath of God, the anger of God. It was poured onto Jesus for, for my situation and yours and whatever else. And so I can forgive. But it, forgiveness is not easy and it must come from the example of Jesus on the cross for his self-sacrificial love. And do you know what the response is? That he calls us to give it all to him. John 3.16, probably the most famous passage in the Bible, isn't it? You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but receive eternal life. Good one to remember, easy to remember. 1 John 3.16 kind of says the same and then goes a bit further tells us what our response is it says and this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers so as we come in to this home leg for graceful community as you guys think about 
this amazing thing that you're doing. You're starting with momentum. What's it going to turn into? How many people are you going to reach? Wouldn't it be amazing if this place is just a hub of forgiveness, of healing, of new life, of the kingdom of God advancing? Then let's put Jesus right in the middle, his sacrifice. Let him be the fuel and the fire for us as we try and live out this grace-filled community. So we've got to have him as the source. Okay. So that's my introduction. That's where we're going today, okay? So if you want to get your Bibles out or your phones, hopefully the verses are going to appear up on the screen. We're going to be looking at Luke 7. Okay, this is the passage of Jesus at Simon the Pharisee's house. So it's verses 36 through to 50. And what we're going to do is we're going to set a little bit of context first, because I think it's quite important for the interpretation of the passage. And then we're just going to go through it a little bit by little bit. So the context in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is clashing big time with the Pharisees. So in Luke 5, which is where Jesus goes to the house of Levi, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And at the end of Luke 5, the Pharisees say to Jesus' disciples, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? You know, they thought that rabbis were only meant to hang out with the righteous and they can't understand what Jesus is doing. Luke 6, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees in their uber-religious, hard-hearted worldview, thought that that was breaking the Sabbath because doing a, heat, doing a miracle was work, which is obviously ridiculous. But it says in Luke 6, 11, that they were infuriated by Jesus and they made a plan to see what they might do with him. So as early on as Luke chapter 6, Jesus is infuriating the Pharisees to the degree that they want rid of him. You know, he's upsetting the apple cart. He's upsetting the status quo. Prior to Jesus, they're in control. They know what they're doing. And Luke actually says, just before the passage that we're going to get to in Luke 7.29, he says, um, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus's words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Now, that verse 30 is really interesting because it's saying that the Pharisees rejected God's purposes for themselves. You see, the message that came from John and Jesus, this message of repentance, it was for sinners, but it was, it was for everybody. It was for the Pharisees as well, but their pride meant that they rejected God's purposes. So that's the context, and there's, I suppose, a little bit of reflection for us to say, Actually, yeah, how much can, might that happen in my life? How much my, might my desire to be in control, to, to be making all the decisions, to not want to pour out my whole life in response to what Jesus has done, how much might that be a hindrance to me really experiencing the grace of God? So that's the context, okay? So let's start with a passage. So verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So a little bit odd. They're clashing mega. He's getting an invite to dinner. What's going on here? Well, actually, I think we can be relatively confident that this is a hostile invite. So as we get further on into the passage, we'll see that all of the social norms have been omitted to Jesus. And actually, it's sending a message. So, you know, we've got unspoken social norms, haven't we, in our society? If Ian comes to my house and he knocks on the door, you know, I get there quickly. Hello, Ian, how you doing? Bit of a hug, little man pat. In you come, don't squeeze too hard, back off Stu, come on, I know I'm welcome, but 
you know, you know, kind of take your coat, kind of, do you want a drink, turn the telly off, you know, make him feel welcome. If all of those things were omitted, if he knocked on the door and I left it a while and then I just opened and gave him a steely look. And if I had my friends present and we'd actually invited him and he's on trial, it's going to be really obvious that he's not welcome, isn't it? And that is actually what is going on here. I'm, I'm going to quote from a, a guy called Kenneth Bailey. I was just reading a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, which I'm finding really helpful. And if there's anything culturally or helpful in this talk, it's, pro it's probably nicked it from, from Ken, okay? Um, he lived in the Middle East for 60 years. He grew up in Egypt, and he spent 40 years of his life in seminaries basically teaching on the Gospels and looking at how basically the cultural context helps you understand the message here. So I'm finding this really useful, but he says this. He says, the minimum Jesus could expect would have been a kiss of greeting, a little water for his feet, and some olive oil with which, with which to wash and anoint himself. In the story, the omission of these three courtesies is mentioned specifically by Jesus later in the passage. No one in the room could have failed to observe their omission. And to omit the entire list of courtesies was a calculated and pointed insult. So it's really important that we understand the context and we see that because it helps explain what happens with the woman. So carrying on, verse 37. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, there's quite a lot in there. And it's worth us thinking about the kind of timeline or chronology of events. If we went down to verse 45 quickly, nipping ahead, Jesus, when he's reflecting back to Simon the Pharisee what's happened and comparing the woman's hospitality with his lack of, he says, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. So this woman's clearly there at the beginning. She's like if she was at my house waiting for Ian to come and I you know, pointed that insult at him. She's there. She sees that. Okay. We know from later in the story that the lady is coming to give Jesus thanks and she has already been forgiven. She's going to shed these tears, but they're not really tears of repentance because she's already been forgiven. It makes no sense when you read the rest of the story because Jesus is talking about the fact that she's come to show a lot of love because she's already received forgiveness. So she's probably one of these people who had met Jesus in Luke 5, you know, when he's spending time with tax collectors and sinners, and she's overjoyed. You know, the reality is she's probably a prostitute. So she is completely stuck in her way of life. She's stuck as an outcast in her society. You know, she's got no worth as a lady. She's, there's no man who's going to take her on. So she's stuck in her occupation. And uh, as far as the religious people are concerned, she is an outcast because she's got no way of paying back what she owes. She's got no way of making kind of recompense or payment for her sin. But then here's this holy guy, Jesus, this kind of like maverick rabbi, <laughs> who's spending time with tax collectors and sinners, who's extending the love of God to, to people like her, who's offering her forgiveness. I mean, this guy Jesus, he is such good news. I mean, that's, we said, sang that song, didn't we, about that wide chasm and about hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, you know, about your chains being broken. I mean, that is, that's what it was like for her. You know, to meet Jesus and experience forgiveness was just like this amazing experience of freedom. So she's come to give him thanks. She's, she's found that he's going to be eating at the Pharisee's house. She knows he's going to be there. She's there from when he comes in, and she witnesses this, this insult. 
Now, we know she got some perfume with her. What she brought that for? Well, in Middle Eastern culture, you didn't anoint people's feet. You washed them with some water and a towel. You anointed their head or their hands. And she's brought some, some alabaster perfume to anoint his head or his hands as a way of saying thanks. But when, she comes, when, when, when he comes into the room, she sees that... Simon is deliberately emitting all these, these normal courtesies as a pointed insult. And obviously, that's pretty upsetting for her, isn't it? You know, she's come to give thanks to this person who, in her eyes, like embodies the grace and the love of God, and yet who has, is having all this dishonor pointed at him by Simon. And that, that's pretty upsetting. And then secondly, Jesus goes and lies down on the couch. Now, that could be quite easily lost on us, but according to Ken, um, the kind of context is that in the Middle Eastern culture, in the Jewish culture of the day, the first person to, to kind of lie down, to recline at the couch where you'd eat, was the eldest and the wisest. So Jesus basically walking into hostility. Could have said, I can see I'm not here. I'm not welcome here. See you later. But he didn't. He goes in and calmly he takes his place as the teacher, as the rabbi. So he's not, he's not shaken. But in... in that moment, the woman can no longer approach his head or his hands. Her plan is foiled because to get up on the couch would have been like sexually explicit in that culture. So what's she going to do? She's, she's upset by the fact that they're pointing this insult, this dishonor at this man who's extending her the very love and grace of God, who's showing her great freedom. She can't anoint his head or his hands anymore, and she begins to weep. And then in that moment, she goes, that's it. I'm going to wash his feet with my tears. I'm going to make up for the deliberate omission of the social courtesies and the dishonor that's being pointed at Jesus by the Pharisees. And I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to stand with Jesus and say, point, put my allegiance and my solidarity with him as the Pharisees try to make him suffer. And so suddenly this woman's actions, they turn the tables. Jesus has come into hostility. He's not been shaken. He sat down and then this woman has made up for everything that the Pharisees have omitted. So you can imagine that this, the Pharisees are, would be pretty, pretty infuriated by this. They've brought Jesus into this scenario. They're, kind of, they're trying to trap him. He's not welcome. And yet he's now being given double honor by this woman. And it's not just that she wets his feet with her tears. You see, what is going on with this whole thing of drying Jesus's feet with her hair? Because she's down here, right? Hello, Sophie. Um, <laughs> and you've got to imagine that, I mean, you didn't wear short skirts in the Middle East, did you? You wore a flowing robe. And by the time you're down here and you're sobbing, okay, all your clothes are kind of all furled up, aren't they? You've got plenty of garment to, wa- to dry a bit of foot with, haven't you? especially given your tears was not quite the same as two litres of water. Do you know what I mean? So why is it that she lets down her hair? Now, the context, again, is that to let down your hair in public as a woman was considered such an offence in Jewish culture that a man could divorce his, his wife for that, and he could actually divorce her with no financial support, no ketubah, as it's called. Not a word we use today. But, um, you know, it was considered this thing that you just didn't do. It was so disgraceful. And the time that you actually, a man did see his wife's hair let down was on their wedding night. So you've got this moment where this woman 
is, is decided that she is going to make up with her thanks and her praise for the hostility of the Pharisees. She's going to humbly and sacrificially wet his feet with her tears and then she lets down her hair. So it's this moment of like ultimate allegiance and devotion that she's pledging to Jesus right there. And she carries it on with this beautiful kissing of his feet and pouring the perfume. And it's like worship, isn't it, really? I mean, I don't know if anybody if anybody here has ever had their kiss, their feet kissed. Probably not. And I think if anybody ever did that to me, like in thanks for anything, I'd be like, whoa, 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 come on. Come on. They're a bit smelly. They didn't get washed for two days. No. But, you know, it's too much, isn't it? It's too much. It's worship. And so all eyes are suddenly on Jesus because what is he going to do? So if we read verse... 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw that he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, really, if the Pharisee had had an open heart, at that moment, he'd have gone, oh my goodness, this woman is making up for everything that I have omitted. She's got love for Jesus, which is convicting me. But he's not. He's stuck, like the Pharisees were, on externals. He's stuck on looking at her sin and her problem. And there are at least four or five things that mean that this situation was wrong for him. Number one, Jesus as a rabbi shouldn't have been with a sinner. Secondly, he shouldn't have been really so close to a woman. Thirdly, he shouldn't have let the woman touch him. Fourthly, she was letting down her hair. And fifthly, she's she's worshipping him and he should have said, off you go to the temple. So there's all these things and there's all this precious, there's this Massive hostility when Jesus comes in. The woman turns the table and then the Pharisees are like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And in this moment, then Jesus has got a couple of options, hasn't he? He could reject her completely, just say, away with you. Or he could like, kind of like apologize for her, couldn't he? Could say, oh, gents, I'm sorry about this. You know, we do see sinners a little bit, but, um, you know, and try and be nice. But this is a bit over the top, isn't it? And I'm, I'm awfully sorry about this. And... You know, could have sort of just sort of try and excuse her. Do you want to go through to the side room? I'll see you later, you know. <laughs> or he could accept her. Now, she has stood in allegiance with him, hasn't she? And his, you know, a, a kind of like cost to herself, really. She's made herself incredibly vulnerable. And in the moment where Jesus has responded, he's got the decision where he can be costly in terms of standing with her. You see, because if he accepts her, he does a few things, doesn't he? He, accept, he welcomes sinners in. He says, sinners are welcome here. He lifts up women. You know, Jesus' encounters with women are, frankly, for, the, for what was known in the day, they're, they're completely revolutionary. And it's no wonder that this story is well-remembered and brilliantly written because it would have caused absolute ripples. It would have been like, do you know what? This maverick guy, Jesus, he loves women and sinners and he's willing to pay the cost Because in terms of him standing up for this woman, it's going to come back to him, isn't it? All of Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees, where he stands up to them, they eventually come back to him. You've already seen that Jesus was infuriating the Pharisees to the degree that they wanted to get rid of him. And ultimately, the Pharisees are going to be the people who are going to campaign for Jesus to be crucified. And Jesus knows his ministry, he knows where he's heading, and he's willing to pay the cost. So this whole thing of Jesus' choice and what he does, and we know that he's going to accept her, um, he's ready to pay personally for her. So let's read on. So verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Uh Uh-oh, Simon, look out. (laughs) 
Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven loves little. Okay, so kind of on the surface of that, Jesus tells a little story, doesn't he, about money lenders and debt, and then he kind of just uses it to explain her actions compared with Simon's. And it seems relatively straightforward, but you actually look a little bit deeper and Jesus teaches us some really profound things about forgiveness. So the first thing is looking at this parable, it seems relatively straightforward, doesn't it? There's a money lender and there's two people who owe money, one a little, one a lot, and the money lender cancels both of the debts. Now, it's helpful for us to understand that the people listening to this story, when Jesus starts talking about a money lender and people who can't pay back a debt, they're immediately thinking about God. They're immediately thinking this represents sin or a, a debt that we can't pay and forgiveness. Um, and we know that actually that was what Jesus was getting at because that's the illustration that he uses for the story. But it happens plenty of times in the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, some of the, again, thank you, Ken, words for de debt and sins in Aramaic is the same word the gospel writers often use interchangeably, debt and sins, to be the same thing. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18 where he talks about a king who forgave a servant and then that man failed to forgive another man um, and when the king found out he was furious and he threw him into prison and Jesus says at the end that's how my heavenly father will treat any of you who fail to forgive your brother from your heart. So it was a story about debt and money but it was about forgiveness of sins. So this little parable okay there's a money lender there's two people who owe some money they're automatically thinking, okay, right, God, I know what this is about. It's about God. This is about sin. But the moment that Jesus applies it to, to being about the woman and Simon and how they love him, there's a sudden twist here. Because wait a minute, that's about the love for the money lender and the love for Jesus. Who's the money lender? Oh, it's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate money lender. It's not just about kind of a little social interaction. This is about Jesus saying that he is going to forgive sins he's actually going to be the one that pays the cost that cancels the debt because if you are the money lender and you write off the debt you're taking the cost upon yourself aren't you so it's kind of this profound thing here where in standing up for this woman and in naming all of the hostility that was aimed at him by Simon because he doesn't brush it under the carpet does he he names it you didn't do this you didn't do this you didn't do this you didn't do this in doing that, he's engendering the hostility of the Pharisees towards himself. And he's identifying himself as the moneylender, as the one who can forgive sins. He, he follows it up in verse 48. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say, oh, who is this who even forgives sins? He's identifying really that he's going to the cross in the long run, isn't he? He's going to be the one who's willing to pay. And yet there's also this profound thing not just in how he's treating the woman and in his willingness to pay the cost and be the person who's going to absorb the cost, but he teaches this amazing thing about forgiveness. Because 
if we look at what he's doing to Simon, both at the same time, he's identifying what Simon has done. He's saying, wait a minute, Simon, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. You not acknowledge this woman. You've aimed all these things. And I'll forgive you if you want. Because he does say Simon's got a small debt. Okay, it's a small debt compared with the woman's large debt, but it's a debt nonetheless. And as the moneylender, Jesus is willing to forgive. Now, we don't know what Simon's response was. It's a bit like the story of the prodigal son at the end. We don't really know, but God's love was still extended to the Pharisees. And so I believe that actually, whilst Jesus is quite pointed, he says, Simon, listen up. You didn't do this, 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 this. He's still offering him forgiveness. Whilst he knows that Simon may respond in hostility, he's still offering him forgiveness. I suppose I just wanted to pause here for a minute. Oh, okay, we'll do this into ministry, okay, because I'm running a bit late, aren't I? I think for uh, something I just wanted to share quickly, really, I suppose it was partly because of my build-up to this um, this talk and what I was experiencing was that, that um, Joe's been helping me a little bit with this forgiveness thing, and um, she's done a few pastoral care courses and comes home, and I go, how does this forgiveness thing work? And uh, four things that she sort of helped me identify, which I think are present in the story, and which I kind of wonder whether God might want to do something in our midst this morning. Um, if you are struggling with some sort of forgiveness from the past, whether it's a family thing or a church thing, but you know, like this story is all about forgiveness and this Gracefield community. It rests on the power of Jesus on the cross and us experiencing his love and his forgiveness and extending it to other people as we we're starting at the beginning. So I just want to focus in. There are four things really that have helped me work through some of my stuff. I know I'm in process, but the first thing is counting the cost. Okay. It's that thing of naming the pain, not of brushing it over, as I was saying before, but of really saying, do you know what? When this thing happens in my life, I felt this, and I felt this, and I felt that, and it wasn't a small thing, and then this thing happened, and I felt angry. It's kind of naming the cost. Because when bad things happen, there's always a cost, isn't there? Easiest way to illustrate this is kind of like immaterial possessions. You know, um, if Ian's looking at my book, that you know, I said, oh, it's really good, and he spills coffee all over it, and I can't read it. It's like, oh... Like, um, either he buys me a new book, or I buy a new book, and there's a cost, there's a cost to either of us, or I try and make him pay, and I pour my tea all over his Bible. Uh, <laughs> and so begins book wars. So forgiveness is about cost, isn't it? There's always a cost involved, and you have to recognize the cost if you want to be able to forgive. So number one, count the cost, name the pain. Number two, accept the reality of the situation. So it's like, I can't believe it's spilled coffee on my bucket. And so, uh, you know, um, you need to control your coffee. It's got clumsy, spilling drinks. Accept the reality that this thing has happened and that the person who's caused the pain in your life is as they are. Do you know, I spill a lot of drinks. I am very clumsy. And so if that annoys my wife, I have to work on it, but it probably will happen again. Okay, and in our family, in our interactions with other people, some of these things are more minor and some of them are major, but people are as they are. God's put us in community and he's given us hope and he put the power of love and the power of Jesus in the middle, but we change slowly, don't we? You know, and that's how God's made us. So we have to accept the reality of the person as they are and that what has happened has happened. So name the pain, count the cost, accept the reality of the situation. Number three, let go of getting even. You know, when you've got somebody in chains in your heart, somebody that's on the hook that you feel like, like I was doing with this family member, that I literally, I want them to feel the pain of what I've been going through. I want them to know the pain of what I think everybody else is experiencing. When you, when you go, okay, God, you've dealt with it. 
it's been dealt with at the cross, justice has been paid, and you let go. Suddenly you realize that, do you know what? You were the one that were in chains. You were the one that was on a big hook, and suddenly you're free. And that certainly happened to me a few weeks ago. I did this kind of like dealing in my heart with this person, and then I spoke to them on the phone and realized that actually I could speak to them because I dealt with my anger. And um, I think they appreciated that. And suddenly, do you know, I felt so much lighter. So forgiveness is such a good thing. It's so welcome. I really hope that there's something this morning for some of you here where God is going to do something in your heart and you leave lighter because forgiveness is this amazingly powerful thing. It's what our world needs, isn't it? There's so many fractured relationships, broken families out there. And if you guys can become a hub for the forgiveness that's found in Jesus, then we can see some real transformation. But so three things, count the cost, name the pain, accept the reality of the situation, let go of getting even. Number four, extend love. Now that might look different in different situations. There are some people in your lives who've hurt you so badly and so so chaotic or untrustworthy to really to have any relationship with them would be unwise. You know, um, it is okay to have boundaries. It's important to have boundaries. And the most maybe you could do in that situation would be to say, God, would you bless that person? I, I let go of getting even. Would you bless them? Would, they, would you help them find healing and love through some other community? Maybe you need to have strong boundaries with somebody, but you can leave the door open for relationship. Or maybe it's actually a smaller thing you can give quickly. But these four things, counting the cost, naming the pain, accepting the reality, Letting go and get a given extended love. And I believe Jesus shows up in there really with Simon, doesn't he? He, he? he says, Simon, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. He just, he was really clear with him, isn't he? He knows that Simon's love for him is quite small. He accepts the reality. He is still willing to forgive. And in the whole process, he's showing love, isn't he? Because actually he's the money lender. He's the guy who's going to pay. So as we kind of come in to close with that, there's so much in there, so I'm sorry gone on a little bit. Um, you know, there's so much we could focus on. You know, it could be like, do you know what? I want to have more of this love for Jesus. I want to know that I am forgiven a lot so that I love a lot. It could be that actually Jesus is challenging you about maybe having some of this Pharisee's heart within you where you're looking externally and you're finding it hard to submit to God because it is not easy. It's a daily battle in our Western world that's all about me and us and asserting my rights. You know, that is a big thing for me. Or it could be actually that you feel really moved that, you know, you need to forgive somebody. You need to let go of a hurt and you, you need to see that freedom in your life. So there's various things. I suppose um, just as we go into ministry, I, my, my heart really for you as a community is that you catch the heart of this woman. If you're going to be a graceful community, then you need to have the ability to pour out your life to Jesus. You know, she pours out this perfume over him. She worships him. Her response to the grace of God is wholehearted, isn't it? So come back to this, those texts at the beginning about knowing God's forgiveness, knowing his love. Greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. You know, so what do we stand? And we just invite the Holy Spirit now.